This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. Thank you for being here as always. It's much appreciated. After last week's three guest extravaganza, just the single guest with me this week, it's Dan Critchlow from Daily Cannon. We'll be talking about all the bits and pieces that have been going on in preseason. Some of the transfer stuff, some of the speculation surrounding players, Martin Odegaard and lots more that to come in just a few minutes' time. But first, having seen a few minutes of him through a rain-splattered camera in a midweek friendly behind closed doors at London Colney, I'm going to do a 17-minute monologue about Albert Sambi Lokonga and how I think he is going to fit into the Arsenal midfield next season. First, let's take an in-depth statistical look at what he did in that game against Watford. And so, you see, that's exactly why he's going to be worth £96 million within the next 18 months. Put your fucking hat on it, guys. I promise. I'm kidding, of course. I just find it a bit mad that people are already kind of drawing conclusions on players that we haven't really seen properly yet. Not just in terms of the competitiveness of the fixtures and the opposition, which is not very much, but also the quality of the TV pictures that we are being served. This isn't 24 camera, 4K HD, blah, blah, blah. This is one camera (laughs) shuffling from one side to the other. How about, and I know this is crazy, how about we watch them in a few games which actually count before we do all the think pieces? Might be a good idea. By the way, uh, releasing this weekend uh, exclusively for Patreon members, an 18-part documentary on Nuno Tavares based on what we've seen from him in preseason so far. You don't want to miss that, let me tell you. As I said, we have got plenty to get through uh, when it comes to the men's team, but just to remind you that we do have uh, a dedicated section on Arsblog News for the Arsenal women, which contains all of the latest news uh, involving the Arsenal women's team, the uh, players who are at the Olympics, new signings. Tim this week has got an amazing interview with Leah Valti. Uh, exclusive stuff for you if you're a fan of Arsenal women or if you're looking to get into uh, the Arsenal women's team. You need to check that out as well, uh, of course, as listening to the Arsenal women Arscast, the number one podcast dedicated 
related to the Arsenal women's team. Now, as you would imagine, from time to time, given that the internet is prone at times to throwing up characters, in inverted commas, who, how will I put this? Um, They're not looking to engage in good faith. Let's put it like that. So, with more regularity than I would like, we get comments on Arsbog News, not just about the women's team, but there's a specific kind of comment about women's football that tends to crop up every now and again. It's the whole, like, who cares? That kind of comment from the guy who could just as easily have ignored it, who cared enough to try and leave a comment, who left a name and an email address, whether they're fake or otherwise, to try and leave a comment on the article. Those comments do not get posted because they're just a waste of everybody's time. But every so often, something comes along, despite the fact that it is in direct contravention to the uh, rules and the standards that we have on the site, it needs to be shared. I'm not saying this comment was approved. It most certainly was not approved. It would never be approved. But I felt like the effort that went into this was, was almost admirable. I shared this with Tim and we both laughed. So the comment was not approved. It did not appear on the website. I am now reproducing this comment for you in dramatic reading form. This is word for word what somebody tried to post on an article about Arsenal women on Arsbog News. Take it away, uh, me. Man with stupid liberal brain likes women's football. Man that pretends he is righteous, but really puts sock over limp dick and strokes his micro penis while watching women's football. Women's football is good for one thing watching ass. Liberal men are ruining this world with their toxic pussy behavior. Slaves to the system. Submissive, greedy horses that only want to avoid being targeted by the corporate media leftist freak mob that control the world so that they can continue to earn coins while the fabric of the world we live in erodes. Shame on you. I prefer a woman that can make a sandwich than to one that can to-do kick-ups. Hmm. I will admit that the hmm was my own, but I just felt like it needed. I know the guy, when he finished typing that out, went hmm, because he made such a good point about those submissive, greedy horses just clip-clopping around, taking everything they can get for themselves, and lying on their back with their bellies in the air as soon as they're challenged. What a world. What a world we live in. Right. Let's get on with the show. And with me now to talk about preseason, some of the games we've played, some of the games we still have to play, transfers in and out, some of the young players, and lots more from the Daily Canon. It is Dan Critchlow. Hi, Dan. Hello. Let's start with the, the couple of preseason games that we played in lieu of being at the Florida Cup. Um, two 4-1 wins, one over Millwall, one over Watford. Uh, how do you view those games in the context of, of the preseason preparations? Um, you know, on the one hand, 
it's training, it's fitness, it's cohesion, it's all of those things. On the other, you're looking for all the little bits of encouragement that you can take. And for a team that's been a bit goal shy, two four one wins, even taking into account the opposition, is a positive, I guess. Yeah, I think it was definitely at least a good thing that we managed to get a couple of games on for a, for a start, just because with such short notice, there was obviously the fear that we weren't going to be playing any games at all. And then especially to have a game against uh, Watford, against the Premier League opponent, I think that was good as well. Obviously, Millwall was a pretty big step down from Inter Milan, but mm. still, I think it was uh, good to at least have a couple of tests and to, you know, for fitness to get the players out there playing. And I think that's probably still at this point the main thing, getting all the players out there playing matches rather than, uh, you know, having our first team out there, mm. which is probably going to be more what we're going to have with the next couple of games, I'd imagine, with the Chelsea game and the Spurs game. I imagine the f- the focus will be a bit more on picking our first team and trying to get a result. Um, but I think you can still sort of see some you can glean some tactical insights and so on from these games even against the uh the likes of Millwall maybe um has anything like, yeah sorry has anything in particular stood out to you um well I, I have to say I think that one thing that I'm still sort of like hesitant about I guess is the fact that our goals came towards the end of the games when we'd made a lot of changes I think that would mm. be maybe the thing that I was I'd still be slightly worried about that uh the team that we're putting out at the start of the match is still sort of scoring one goal and conceding one goal and nothing and especially the goal that we conceded against Watford was a a bit worrying with it felt like watching a Premier League game from last season <laughs> where we <laughs> you've got a player who you think is secure in possession and then he's lost it and we yeah. conceded a goal from nothing basically um but I think there were some really nice moves and some really nice goals that we have scored uh, in in both games. And I think that's definitely been encouraging um, with uh, pretty much everyone being involved in the goals as well. Um, Abamyang hasn't really uh, been scoring many, but he's been involved in a couple mm. um, in the build-up and in, I think, maybe assisting uh, Pepe's goal and um, and hitting the bar for the the Chambers goal. So, uh, but the rest of them have all been scoring. Even Enketia's got a couple. So, mm. and Balogun's got one. So, uh, I think that's definitely encouraging. Aubameyang just saving his goals for the season. You know, yeah, there's no exactly. no point no point using them up in preseason. Yeah, uh, party. Yeah, exactly. We're going to yeah. talk about Thomas Party in a little while, but uh, you know, just sort of continuing on this theme about uh, the preseason fixtures that we're we're undertaking. How do you view personally just your, your own opinion on playing Chelsea and Spurs? Like, I know there are probably good reasons for it in the sense that at this point in time international travel isn't particularly a good idea even if Arsenal were going to go to the Florida Cup and and playing some games locally makes some sense it's not quite like uh, a previous summer where you could have the Emirates Cup and you could invite a number of teams do you have any reservations about playing Chelsea and Spurs given that we we face both of those in the opening weeks of the season yeah, I, I think it is a bit of a, a worry. I think we've played Chelsea in preseason so many times. I mean, I think the, you know, a couple of them were Community Shield, mm. but then we also played them in Ireland, I think, a couple of years That's ago. That's right, yeah, was there for and, that. And, and played them very early in the season, that season as well. 
mm. and uh, and we lost to them obviously so that, that's not particularly encouraging um so i do think it is a, a bit of a worry i think at the same time maybe if you can get a, a really good test against one of the top teams just before the season starts i think that should be a good thing it should really have us prepared for brentford on the opening game of the season but it is just going to be yeah the concern is whether we end up giving something away tactically that we're then going to want to use two weeks into the season when we're playing against Chelsea in a match that actually matters. They they kind of feel like no-win fixtures, even if you win, because if you win, everyone says, well, it just doesn't matter. It's a preseason game. It's just fitness. It's just training. If you lose... You know, and I know this isn't necessarily um, a, a true reflection of fan opinion, but you know what the internet and Twitter is going to be like if we lose preseason yeah. game to either of those teams. People will go absolutely crazy. So you're kind of, yeah, it's it's a bit of a difficult one. I suppose that might be just how we feel about it, whereas the manager and his staff and maybe the players will look at these, you know, quite differently. I do think, though, when you look at the 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 caliber of the opposition in Chelsea. And then obviously Spurs have some aspirations to be a a team that uh, people might want to talk about. You know, they, they do provide a bit of a test. So if you're, if you view, let's say Scotland, the games against Rangers and Hibs as like just the very first part of preseason, they really don't matter beyond getting players out there. And then the, the last two games behind closed doors, a little bit of progression in that sense, these are real preparation games at the same time, though, aren't they? Because more players are going to be back. There might be a new signing or two in, in a couple of these games. You never know. Um, and then after that, you're basically into the season. So this is the way for Mikel Arteta to do not all of his preparation, because a lot of it is going to be happening on the training ground, but but certainly in terms of getting uh, you know players out on the pitch getting them comfortable with with each other, what he's asking them to do. These are the games which which allow him to do that. Yeah, I think uh, definitely it's going to be interesting with the new signings, potential new signings to see whether any of them are particularly involved in the games because that's probably going to determine how involved they can be then on the opening day against Brentford, particularly with someone like uh, Ben White. If he has signed, then it's... If he isn't involved in the next couple of games if he's not ready for the Chelsea game at the weekend then he's only got one game against Spurs Mm. to prepare him for the the Brentford game and you sort of wonder whether he will then be thrown in or whether he won't and then the issue is is that after Brentford we've got some really difficult games coming (laughs) up so if he's not involved then then can we throw him in against uh, Chelsea or Manchester City or Spurs or whoever we've got in the early weeks then it becomes more of an issue. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how involved they are. And also someone like Granite Jacker, I'm wondering whether he's going to be back involved because the longer that the Roma stuff drags on, you imagine that he'll probably go there eventually. But in the meantime, if we really want to play hardball, then we've probably got to start involving him in training and involving him in the games. And if we don't, then it's sort of sending out the sign that we're we're going to sell him. It is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it feels like we're in a sort of limbo with with Shaka. I get the sense that under normal circumstances, he would be back by now, even though Switzerland went a bit further in the European Championships. You know, Kieran Tierney was back a few weeks ago and, you know, he was involved. Um, Ben White might be, you know, 
back in and training after he signs. Who knows, you know, what's going to happen. It seems unlikely that we're going to sign him and he's going to come or go off and have another little bit of holiday. He didn't really play in the European Championships. Bakayo Saka is a different one, but Bernd Leno is back. So it feels like Xhaka should be, under normal circumstances, back at London Colney. Um, yeah. I think there was only a three-day difference between Leno and Jacka in terms of when they finished their right. participation at Euro 2020. So if Leno is back, then in a few days, you'd expect to see Jacka back as well. But so far, we haven't seen anything. But. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think every if you were to put money on it, you would say he, he's going to go. But it is something of a stalemate. It seems like a stalemate. And, and if we do insist on him returning, maybe it puts a bit more pressure on Roma to to cough up the money. It would be a difficult situation, wouldn't it, if we did that and Roma just said, well, okay, now we're going to leave it. You end up with a player who the club were probably happy to let go for a certain price. The player wants to leave. Um and he has to stay. And uh, I think Shaka is a professional guy and will give you his best, but it's really not ideal, is it? So given that we've gone so far down the road with this one, with Shaka and Roma, it feels like it, it could be problematic to, to do it that way, to bring him back, to, to play that game of brinksmanship with Roma. Yeah, I, I definitely think it could be a problem. I think that, like you said, Shaka is always proven to be professional. And I think that, it, particularly when there was that period of time where we thought he was going to hurt a Berlin and then he mm. didn't end up going and then he ended up having one of his best periods in an Arsenal shirt probably for uh, later that season. Um, I think he probably would we probably would be okay. And I think it's less of an issue than with some other players that we really do want to move on. Like I think if we've got someone like Kalasanak maybe and we ha- if if we can't find a deal for him and then we have to reintegrate him i just can't see where he's going to get the games and whether he's going to add that much to the team but i think with jacka if we were forced to keep him i think mm. that wouldn't be the worst thing i mean given that he was such a, a starter and a regular uh, under arteta or he has been the entire time under arteta um uh, but I think it's obviously the ideal is that we move him on and that we mm. get in a replacement and uh, really push on and move forward. But- mm. I think it's it's the sort of situation that would leave everybody disappointed. Roma would be disappointed. Xhaka would be disappointed. Um, I think Arsenal fans, you know, whatever you think of Granit Xhaka, whether you're, you like him or you dislike him, I think there's a, an acceptance that it's time to move on. And time to do something new after whatever it is, five years in an Arsenal shirt, it's time to do something new. So if that situation were to arise, it would be quite disappointing simply because his his profile as a player as well might then prohibit uh, a signing. And, and maybe we can only make that midfield signing that we're, we're looking for as and when we move Granit Xhaka on. It's that idea of, well, do you sign the player? and weaken your hand in negotiations with another club when they know that you're overstocked in a particular area, like we are, yeah. for example, at right-back and at left-back. We've now got three left-backs, um, yeah. having last season just had one uh, during a, a key period of the season. We've now got three on the books with Tavares, Tierney, and Kolasinac. And on paper, we've got Cedric, we've got Bellerin, we've got Maitland-Niles, and we've got Callum Chambers to play at right-back. And if we want to move a couple of those players on, it becomes well, it's more difficult because everyone knows, well, you, you've got too many. So here's, here's a, a low-ball offer just to take someone off your hands, which may not 
tally with the uh, the kind of fee that Arsenal might have in mind. I, I think that's kind of, well, maybe it's playing into what's going on with Hector Bellerin at the moment in that there aren't really the offers there that we're deeming acceptable. But is it in part because of the circumstances in which we're trying to sell him? Yeah, and I, I, that's another, I guess, slightly worrying thing over the last couple of games of preseason is that I feel like it's been pretty obvious that Bellerin isn't in contention to be starting against Brentford on the first game of the, in the first mm. day of the season. I don't think that he, I mean, he hasn't really been start. I don't think he started many of the friendlies that we've had so far, if any of them. And mm. he's sort of been making cameo appearances. Chambers was playing there, Cedric was playing there, and so I think it is sort of pretty clear from all parties that he is looking to move on this summer and then that doesn't give us a a very strong negotiating position um particularly if there aren't too many clubs coming in to make offers which obviously with the market as is at the moment there aren't going to be too mm. many clubs coming in making big offers it's going to be you know inter asking for a loan with an option to buy and Atletico wanting the same thing, but only if they sell Trippier and they haven't sold Trippier and you end up in all of these. Yeah. I mean, I saw James Bench tweeting that, that Hector Bellerin's agent was in London uh, today, Thursday, as we're recording, uh, to try and break the impasse, as he says. You know, Arsenal want at least an obligation for a transfer fee at the end. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, we are going to have to cut our cloth. Are you in any way anxious about the... Um, we're all very focused on the the incoming business, and it does look as if Ben White is going to be a, an Arsenal player. That seems to be done and dusted. It hasn't been officially announced at the time of recording. Um, based on what's happened in previous podcasts, though, the minute we hang up on this call, Ben White will be uh, officially confirmed as an Arsenal player. And we're looking for other things and other players to come in. But are you at all concerned about the size of the squad and the players that we maybe want to move on but haven't yet. Uh, are you worried yet or do you see a lot of this stuff going towards the end of the window? Uh, I think we we should see more movement towards the end of the window. I think it's less of a concern than it was towards the end of last summer purely because the squad restrictions um, aren't going mm. to be quite so bad this summer. I, because Firstly, because we're bringing in a couple of players who either are young enough that they don't have to be put on the no, non-homegrown uh, squad list or they are homegrown, someone like Ben White. Um, and uh, we've moved on a couple of the players who weren't homegrown already this year, you know, the Mustafis and Ozil's and, mm. um, and so on. Uh, and... So I think because that that's always my primary concern that we're literally going to have players taking out wages who cannot play a single minute. You know, when Ozil and uh, Saliba in the Europa League last season where it would have been great to see him playing matches, but he just couldn't because we didn't have the squad space to include him. And so I think that's going to be slightly less of an issue. Maybe that takes a small bit of the pressure off uh, making the sales because it's not literally that we have to make this sale or there's just a player using up a squad space that we don't have. Mm. Um, but at the same time, obviously, when you want to be bringing in players to really push the squad forwards and push the, the first 11 forwards, it's going to be an issue when you've got players using up wages that you can't move on. Mm. And that's still going to affect us when we're trying to get them out the door, that clubs will know that. 
It is a balancing act as well, isn't it? Because you know, to 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 find the um, to find the money for some of the signings that we've been linked with, it seems clear that the club are are um, using some money that has been I don't know sourced from either a bank loan or or something. It's cheap to borrow money at the moment, and maybe the owners have have greenlit some some finance that way, right? I, I don't believe for a second that it's KSE putting the money in themselves. It will be some debt that Arsenal have to service, but you do have to also uh, try and sell to offset some of that, and and the players potentially that are the most valuable to us in terms of the transfer fee that we might expect from them are the the young academy guys who are i suppose potential fringe players this season maybe not much more than that but if you were to sell them to other premier league clubs because of their age because of their experience their their homegrown status they are they are valuable. So Joe Willock, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson, you know, guys who, if it came down to it, could provide some depth in the squad. But if we're looking to refresh and renew and, and, and make a pathway for some of the other young players to come through the academy, they're the ones who could, who could uh, provide that. And they're the ones who could bring in fairly significant money when you look at some of the other deals that are going down in the Premier League so far. Yeah, I think... Or of the players that you've just mentioned, at least a few of them should in a normal summer be able to bring in a, a decent fee. And the, the only worry is whether we're going to get the offers this summer. But you, we've already heard about interest in a few of them, at least. We know mm. that, you know, there have been reports that a few clubs are interested in uh, Maitland-Niles, a few Premier League clubs are interested in Maitland-Niles. And then obviously with Willock, there's Newcastle. And then there was the, the, the talk of Monaco this week. And uh, so... You'd hope that they're just delaying and that at some point the bids will come in and that hopefully maybe a bit of a bidding war might ensue with Maitland-Niles and the various uh, Premier League clubs that want him and that maybe in Katia with... The, the, I thought he played really well against uh, Watford the other day. That was a good goal, maybe yeah. That's, yeah, really good goal. And I thought he had a, a good half, not just with the goal, but with his all-round play on the left, particularly as he tends to play more as a, a centre forward I think um, his his hold up play I've sometimes been critical of his hold up play but I think he did really well um, on the day and I, I hope that with that and a couple more good performances maybe a goal against Chelsea or Spurs in particular that would really boost his profile a bit I hope that the bids will come in for him as well shop window that, kind of stuff have yeah. some, some cash to spend yeah we are um, linked quite strongly with Martin Odegaard again this week. There's been some very, uh, well, there's been a lot of information out of Spain. So what happens is like there's a germ of a story and then from that story, all these other things start emerging. And, and the, the, the crux of it was that Odegaard would be open to a move back to Arsenal. I think that was just the bottom line of it. And I've seen all kinds of stories since various um, Twitter Twitter accounts and Real Madrid blogs and all kinds of things reporting that Ancelotti's going to sit down with him and tell him how important he is, but Odegaard still wants to leave and he's told his people he wants to leave. And then there's uh, stories that he, he'd come back on loan, but he still wants to keep the door to Real Madrid open. And, you know, it's really hard to know in this kind of... 
um, online world we live in right now where, where everybody is looking for information and that in itself generates information which may not necessarily be false but might be just sort of adding arms and legs onto the existing situation. So it's hard to know. But, I mean, where do you... Where would you stand on the the Odegaard situation? Is he or is he a player you would like back at Arsenal? And in what context could you could you do another loan if he's a player you would like back, or would you prefer it to be more permanent? I think maybe this is a, a cop out answer, but I <laughs> would it would really for me depend on the other business that we do because if we bring him in maybe on loan or maybe we bring him in for not too much money as opposed to bringing in someone like Madison for more money, but then we use the money that we've saved to, on a really good central midfielder to support him and to support Party, then I think that could end up being a really good summer and that could really help us as a team but if it's the case that we you know spend a lot of money on Odegaard but then can't afford a central midfielder or we loan him and we don't bother to sign a central midfielder or it breaks down and mm. we spend the money on a different position that maybe doesn't seem so important to us but does to Arsenal then I think then it becomes more of a uh, concern mm bringing him back particularly on loan is he although a- he's only got a couple of seasons left yeah. on his his contract so you'd think that i mean unless he's planning to extend his contract and go on loan then we'd still be in a strong position next summer if we did loan him he'd be in the last year of his contract so yeah i just i think i'm a little bit tired of the loans yeah. um you know i don't know that they're the right way to do it i, I i'm not saying that it because it was a loan deal, it had an impact on Danny Ceballos and his motivation or whatever it was. But I don't know that we saw maybe what we were expecting from Danny Ceballos in the second season on loan. Um, and I don't think he had any intention really of ever joining Arsenal on a permanent basis. I'm not saying that was an option, but I don't think that was anything that he really wanted. And I, you know, I just wonder about your ability to influence a team and be the player that you, you possibly could be in those circumstances. But I mean, on, on the need for somebody to provide depth from an attacking midfield perspective, would you be on board with the return of Martin Odegaard? Because I've seen quite a diversity of opinion from Arsenal fans this week when it's um, gone on. I, you know, put my money on the table and say, I really like him. I think it's a deal that if we can do, we should do. There are all kinds of upsides. He's 22. He's got the age profile that we're looking for this season. I think we saw him at his best last season at times, and that was really, really good. And I know there was a period where he didn't, do particularly well, but I also think that he had an injury. I think the injury played a part. I think the the uh, the team itself wasn't as cohesive as it could be. So those things, you know, we've seen other players who we know are better than we saw from them last season, and and it's not just an individual thing. I think there was a collective thing. So I'd be really on board with bringing Odegaard back in because I I, I love Smith Rowe. I love what he does. I love the fact that he's got the 10. I love the new contract and, and what lies ahead, but I don't love the idea of him being the only player we have in that position because it's too much of a burden physically, mentally, not to mention the fact that you need some depth, you need an alternative as you do in pretty much every other position. So I'd be well on for making it um, permanent if we could. Is 
would you, let's say it was a 30 million deal tomorrow, would you do it or, or would you maybe prefer a different target? I, I think I would do it if it was a, a 30 million deal and, uh, and it, a permanent deal. I think that would be a great deal for us. I think it would, he, there's a lot of upside, potential upside with him being still being so young and mm. with the fact that, you know, the last six months he's play, been playing in a new league with that injury that you mentioned. And I think Arsene Wenger always used to say that the, the first six months when you joined in January were, you know, maybe a bit of a write-off for players coming from foreign leagues. And then they really showed what they could do in their, their next season, but it could, you know, help them to sort of get up to speed during those six months. And if we see that from Odegaard, especially given some of the performances that he did put in, I think that would be a real boost to us. I, I think the fact that the, the performance against West Ham always stands out yeah. and, uh, the fact that he was so good then, and that was uh, was that right before the international break? I think maybe it was, and then uh, then he got the the injury with Norway, yeah, and came back, played one game where he wasn't as good, and he clearly was still carrying an injury, and then missed the next couple of games. Um, so I, I think there were definitely a lot of factors that went into him not, may, maybe not being quite as good as he could have been that mm. I think wouldn't necessarily be as much of an issue hopefully during if, if he came back and I think there were performances in there that showed what he can do and that he could add a lot to the team and so yeah I would definitely be yeah. pro bringing him back. Yeah you're right it was just before the international break actually and, and from there I don't think he was quite the same again or maybe towards the end of the season we started to see him um, find his his range again, and look, I I think there's a need, isn't there, for for Arsenal? I mean, for us as fans, it's difficult maybe to contemplate the idea that we're not the attractive or as attractive a destination as we used to be. And uh, you know, when a player like Martin Odegaard, uh, if he's willing to join you, if he's willing to sign on a permanent basis and become part of what is looking like a fairly extensive rebuilding project with a lot of young players coming in uh, and the age profile of the squad being lowered considerably, I think we have to kind of just say, realistically, who are we going to be able to get that is better than Martin Odegaard? in that position, in those circumstances, with the talent and the potential that he has at 22 years of age. So, you know, we have to we have to acknowledge that we finished eighth two seasons in a row. We don't have European football to offer players. And that is a big carrot, not, you know, um, from a prestige point of view, but also, you know, a financial point of view as well for, for certain players because you get bonuses and appearance fees and, you know, success bonuses, all those kind of things that tie in with European football that are going to make players who are as good as or maybe better than Martin Odegaard not inclined to join. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like there are a huge number of uh, rumours linking us to other players, like really serious alternatives that we could actually bring in. It, mm. it feels like there are only maybe a couple of players that are even on the radar. And so from that point of view, if you can get Martin Odegaard in... I think it's something that you should do, especially if it's not for, you know, ridiculous money, which I think Real Madrid have sort of shown maybe with the, the Varane deal that they're not holding out for crazy amounts of money. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, they feel like a club that you can not take advantage of, but, you know, they need money. They've just sold 
um, their best central defender. They've lost their, you know, most influential central defender uh, as well in Sergio, Sergio Ramos. Yeah. You know, this is a club that needs to generate cash. And I think Odegaard is a, is a player who, if the offer was, was on the table, he would, he would certainly do that. Uh, I mean, sorry. They've, they, yeah. They've got um, uh, quite a few players in his position as well. That's the other thing. Yeah. He, they, it's not like for them, if they sell him, then they're not going to have anyone playing in midfield. The, the issue is more the other way that he doesn't know whether he's going to get games. And that's sort of something that we could take advantage of while we have the chance, basically. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, James Madison is a name that's been doing the rounds as well. Um, that feels a little less realistic to me, not least because of the price that would be involved that Leicester would be looking for, because I think he's got three years, maybe more, uh, on his current deal. Yeah. So he's he got signed a, a new deal last summer. Yeah, so he's got a long contract. Leicester, as they've shown in the past, when they sold Harry Maguire, are quite prepared to hang out or hang on and push the boat out to get a big fee for for what they consider a good player. And I don't particularly like the idea of of Arsenal handing Leicester sixty million, sixty five million pounds. Yeah, this is a team that we are going to have to contend with. But you know, I think somehow. Maybe mixed up a little bit in all of this is the idea that Madison and Odegaard are the same kind of player, and I don't think they are. Even by Madison's own admission, he is not a number 10. Odegaard is a, is a fairly modern number 10, a bit of a twist on, on the classic number 10. But, you know, he fits that role very well. He's got a good eye for a pass. He, he connects things. Madison sees himself, and he said it last year, he sees himself more as a number 8. Um, so maybe the idea that it's one or the other... Uh, doesn't quite tally. You know, maybe Arsenal do have a big interest in James Madison, but not necessarily to be the number 10 or that attacking midfield player, perhaps to be uh, the the fabled party partner. Um, So it's not really an either-or situation when it comes to those two players, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, I think my reservations would be the same as yours about the, the deal in terms of the... The you know if, if we can get him in, I think he's a good player, but he would cost a lot of money, and that would be a lot of money going to a team that are you know in a position that we want to be in in the table. Mm. And in order to fund that sort of deal, we'd probably end up having to sell. Uh, I mean, the the only way that I can realistically see it happening really is if we sell Maitland Niles to them, and then they give us a discount or something, or we sell Maitland Niles el- elsewhere at least. Because otherwise, I just don't see how we're getting the the money to make that signing. Yeah, they were linked with him. In fairness, um, yeah. back in January, when there was the the loan, there was a potential loan to uh, who was the other one? Southampton, maybe for Maitland yeah. Niles, and and there was talk uh, well, of Leicester. This this summer, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe there was a, a BBC report that was saying that I think it was uh, Leicester City, Southampton, and Burnley with three of the Premier League clubs interested in him. So. I mean, it is it is one of those things that when you have players who are surplus to requirements, you know, Arsenal could offer Leicester, Maitland-Niles, or Eddie Nketiah, or Reese Nelson, or Joe Willock, or Willian, <laughs> heaven forbid. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That there are yeah. uh, combinations of players that Arsenal could offer Leicester to minimise the financial outlay. Uh, whether they be open to accepting that or not is another question. Um, yeah, but I mean, where where do you stand on the the party partner situation and the central midfielder that everybody kind of feels 
that we still need. And I think it's, it's obvious we still need that player. You know, what's interesting about this to me is that we, we talk about the party partner and this is a guy who's going to come in and, um, dovetail with, with party well. Uh, that's the ideal situation. We can talk about maybe what we expect from Partey next season now in a second. But I think what's interesting about this as well is that when Thomas Partey goes to the African Cup of Nations, we kind of need this player to be able to hold his own as well and to bring in and, and work with, you know, some of the other central midfielders who are at the club at that time. Because Partey's departure, hopefully, and I, I mean this in the best possible way, hopefully his departure to the African Cup of Nations is uh, leaves us with a big problem because he's been so good and so influential that that's something that we have to deal with. Um, so who it might be, I don't know. Who the player is, I don't know. And who we might have to work with, we know it'll be uh, Lokonga will be one of them. Elneny could be Maitland-Niles, could be Willock, could be even Lucas Torreira, who knows. But this player has to be able to pick up the slack when party goes in January. Yeah. I think it definitely does have to be an experienced player. And I think that, or at least, you know, at least semi-experienced, mm. like somebody who's sort of 24 and up sort of age range rather than another Lokonga or someone like that. Because yeah. like you said, I think, you know, may, maybe in by the time January comes around and Lokonga has had a few months to settle in, maybe he can sort of uh, fill in for party they seem to have a similar ish profiles but then it has to be someone experienced alongside him if we're going to do that it can't be Lokonga and a youth player or something or so I, th I think it it's another interesting one because we haven't been linked with too many players there have been sort of the the Locatelli rumors that keep coming back but it seems like really just going to Juventus and yeah. then there's um there's the, the Neves rumours, but it sort of it feels like that's really stalled. That was at the start of the, since the start of the summer we've been linked with him, but nothing's happened. So I sort of wonder how serious that is as well, whether it's because we're waiting until we've made sales like Jacka to Roma, or whether it's just because we're not that interested. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's another interesting one because we I I just don't know who we're going to be bringing in. So that feels like it could be the it. surprise one, doesn't it? You know, I know no transfer is really a surprise and maybe it'll just be Neves. It'll happen quickly. If Shaka goes, we'll start moving, dominoes start falling and all that kind of stuff. But it's potentially one which might be a bit of a surprise given the importance of the role and how few players we've actually been linked with. As you say, there's only really been two in Locatelli who... I don't think we have any chance whatsoever of signing. I applaud the ambition and the idea behind it. But, you know, realistically, he's going to go to Juventus and Ruben Neves. And they're the only two. And when you consider how crucial this position is for Arsenal, you know, it is a bit strange that there haven't been more names doing the, doing the rounds. Yeah, I mean, you hope that it's because they're just sort of keeping it under wraps until they want to actually pursue the move. Mm. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, getting other business done. But I, I don't know. I, it's impossible to say whether they have someone lined up or whether it's just a case of not having thought past Locatelli and Neves. I don't know. <laughs> uh, time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed that this is a position that they can uh, sort quickly. On Thomas Partey, 
He has, and I know, again, just to caveat it, that it is only preseason, uh, and I am looking forward to seeing what he does in the games against Chelsea and Spurs from that perspective. He has looked impressive, and he has looked sharp and, and on it. You know, we need a big season from him because of his experience. You know, this is a, a squad that's going to be a bit younger, I think, next season. So there is a an element of the more senior players, the likes of... Um, Pepe, Partey, Aubameyang, even players like Chambers and and Rob Holding who are in that sort of mid to late 20s uh, age bracket or heading towards that anyway, you know, um, offsetting some of the the relative inexperience. But Partey must have been, on a personal level, disappointed with his first season in England, given the various scenarios that he had to face, the injuries, um, you know, the the fact he didn't score a goal. He joined a team which then finished eighth, you know, if he'd stayed at Atletico Madrid. I think he did get a medal, actually, didn't he? He could have got a, a La Liga winner's I, yeah, medal. I yeah, so. so he won La Liga, even though he left them in um, September, October, whatever it was. <laughs> you know, it, it on a personal level, he must feel like he's got something to prove this season for Arsenal. And hopefully that's a, a good thing. Yeah, I, I definitely hope that there's more to more to come from him. I think that there, we sort of saw the glimpses of what he can do in various performances last season, but I think there was just that we we never saw the consistency that we sort of need from him now, mm. um, and especially you know for the price that we brought him in for. I think that he's shown a lot, of, and like I agree that I think he's played well in preseason so far. I think that. And I, I think he ended last season pretty well as well. But there were periods during last season, obviously the injuries were the biggest factor holding him back last season. But I think there were also periods where he could have done more. And I, I hope that that's just because he was adapting and because he was struggling with injuries and because he was adjusting to the pace of the league. And I hope that this season that will uh, result in him being more ready to take on more responsibility in midfield. Uh because I think we do need that from him. Yeah, I mean, he feels like somebody who could be hugely influential on on the course of our season if he can, if he can perform. And look, that's not to put it all on him or anything like that. But but if we are going to have a good season, we're going to need him to play pretty well for 38 games in the Premier League season or as many of those games as you know he's fit and available for. Similarly, Aubameyang. Um, yeah, and obviously, like you said, with the Afcon as well, he's yeah. going to be missing a few games for that. That is a that is a thing, isn't it? When you look at what what's happening in January, Pepe, Aubameyang, and Partey going at a a fairly crucial point of the season. I mean, they're all crucial. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no good month to lose three players like that. But I it's mean, sort of it's something I hadn't really thought about with Lacazette. It's another factor going into what we do with him because if Aubameyang is gone, then mm. who is filling that role? If we haven't signed another player then it would have to be, you know, Nketiah Balogun, if, if Nketiah is even still there. Well, that's it. I mean, that is, a, that is a situation that feels like unless a fairly significant big comes in for Lacazette, he's just going to see out his contract or and or we're going to keep him. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's probably easier. Like if, if you're only getting 10 million on the table for Lacazette, like he's not going to get you... 25, 30 goals. I think we've seen that during his time at the club, but he is probably going to get you somewhere in the region of 15 goals 
minimum in the season, assuming that um, we can improve slightly on where we were last season. So that 10 million, does that get you 15 goals if you reinvest it somewhere else? I mean, there's talk of Tammy Abraham and stuff like that, but there's just too big of a gap, isn't there, between what we have in Aubameyang and Lacazette and then what we have as potential backup. It might be in Kedia, but it's probably Balagoon. Um, maybe Martinelli, it's too big of a gap or too much of a burden to put on those players. So it yeah. it probably speaks to Lacazette staying more more uh, more likely than not, unless, as I said, that big offer comes in. But I mean, I can't think of a single club that's been linked with him. Yeah, I think it would definitely, it would have to be a big offer and it would have to be a big offer coming from nowhere in order for mm. us to to sell him because I like you say I don't think that there is there's just not really the potential to reinvest a small bid and replace him sufficiently to cover for the fact that Aubameyang is going to be away for potentially a month month and a half Final thing, I mean, just so it goes um, to Balagoon to an extent uh, and also to a, a player who scored a good goal against Watford during the week, um, going back to the preseason friendlies that we started with, Miguel Aziz. Players who we, um, like we all love to see talent come through the academy and when they first start breaking through, we have these incredibly high hopes for them. This is going to be the new this guy and this is going to be the new midfield general and this is going to be the new striker, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they they clearly are and you've, um, you do a lot of uh, Arsenal youth stuff for Daily Cannon, so you're well-versed on these two guys. Um, both hugely talented with a lot of potential, but without any... Premier League experience at all. Um, in terms of how you develop them, do you think they would be they would benefit more from occasional involvement with Arsenal this season as squad players, some uh, players who can give us a bit of depth? Um, you know, someone like Balagoon who could potentially replace Aubameyang in certain games if or, or, or come on with Aubameyang in certain games? Or are they at a point where they need to play regularly to really start to develop the, the talent that they have? And by that, I mean, obviously, go on loan. Yeah. Um, well, I think they could... I For me, I feel like the... The next few months, it wouldn't be the worst thing for them to be around the first team squad, being involved whenever they can be. Obviously, we'll, we'll have League Cup games. We won't have Europa League, but we'll mm. have you know opportunities to involve them more in the first team squad in training and so on. And I, I think then you can make a, a decision in January whether they've started to break in and you know with Aubameyang going maybe to Afcon, then you think maybe is Balogun in a position where he can fill in and help out there or are we in a position where they haven't really played too much for the last few months in which case then you send them out on loan mm. in, in January I think that that sort of having that backup makes it not too big of an issue to have maybe a, a couple of months where they aren't playing quite as much I would like to see particularly Balogun playing more um, wh when we get the opportunity just because I feel like he's been waiting for quite a while now. I feel like it's maybe less of an issue with Aziz. And uh, I think the fact that um, he wasn't involved in 
the previous preseason games was more to do with you know his fitness situation mm. um than an unwillingness to give him a chance because obviously we saw uh jack henry francis join the uh the squad in edinburgh and yeah. i think if aziz was fit then that would have been him mm. there instead so it's, it's sort of a bit unfortunate timing there but uh i think he will probably be okay to you know play with the under 23s regularly be involved in first team squad whenever possible and maybe get some games in the league cup or something and then playing in january i would like to see more f- of balogun sort of off the bench in the the premier league and hopefully starting in the league cup and then see where we go from there i mean again, look pre-season again um what, what do you make of the the use of inkeria in games where you could potentially be using balogun does this again go back to the shop window thing? Do you think? I think it. Yeah, I think it probably does go down to the shop window thing. I I, I don't have any information on this, but I suspect that maybe he was injured yesterday. Just I, I didn't see him in training the day before, and I, he obviously wasn't involved at all yesterday. So I think mm. maybe he's he just taken a, a knock or something. But um, I think primarily it, it has to be about getting in Ketia in the, the shop window mm. because otherwise I, I don't think it really makes it. But we have done that with a few players and it's not just about getting them in the shop window as well. It's about getting them fit so that they can, you know, when a bid, when the bids come in, they're for players who are fit enough to pass medicals and to, sure. you know, draw interest from other clubs. All right. Well, look, uh, there's plenty still to uh, to happen during this preseason transfers and games and, um, London fixtures, which I'm sure everybody will take in their stride, whatever happens. Uh, We'll see what goes down and all of that. But uh, for now, we'll leave it there. Dan, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He is at AFCDW, at AFCDW, and he writes for the Daily Canon as well. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Right, so I think that's just about that for this week's show. There's not a great deal going on. The Ben White thing is close to being completed. As to when it's official, when it's announced, who knows? Will it be over the weekend? Perhaps in tribute to the great Sylvain Wiltord. 
Ben White will be in the stands on Sunday when Arsenal play Chelsea at the Emirates as part of our preseason preparations. I think this one will be more interesting uh, than what happened in midweek against Watford and certainly against Millwall. I watched the goals in those games. I didn't sit down and watch the 90 minutes. Uh, you know, there's a long season ahead of us, lots of watching Arsenal to come, but I will watch on Sunday because I'm curious as to how we look, how certain players look, how we fare against Chelsea how competitive it is and whether or not we can see any ideas or tactical things that Mikel Arteta is putting in place. I think uh, games against Chelsea, games against Spurs, as much as I don't like them and would prefer we were playing other teams, they are going to be a test and we can read a few things and bits and pieces into them. James and I will discuss the Chelsea game and everything else on Monday on the Arscast Extra, so please do join us for that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. I was sitting there trying to do as much nothing as possible when the guy walked into the office. What do you want, mister? I said, I'm really busy doing nothing. Look, he said, I got a real problem here. I think you can help me. How's that, I said. Well, he said, there's this guy on the internet, see? He's always wrong. You know, sometimes I think he's wrong on purpose. So what's the problem, I said. Well, he said... He says something wrong. I correct him. I get angry. I get outraged. He just replies gleefully. Then the next day he says something wrong again. And so the cycle continues. Look, mister, I said, this sounds like a problem you can solve all on your own. How's that, he said. Ignore him, I said. Unfollow him. Block him. Mute him. Leave him shouting into the empty void where in time the nothingness will consume him. Yeah, you know what, mister, you're right, he said. But I think I'll just call him a cunt first. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.